Well, hello and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. I am really excited today because I have a new friend, a new guest on the podcast to introduce to you. This is my friend, Jason Latter, Pastor Jason Latter, who pastors at Connell Baptist Church. Now, if you guys are listening, you're at All Saints, you know Connell Baptist Church, because if you approach us from the west along Camp Bowie, you drive past it about 10 seconds before you arrive. We are literally, if you had a baseball arm, we are a stone's throw away, right? Yes, we are, yeah. <laughs> and yep. I've got to tell you this story really briefly. So I was out walking, and um, uh, I sometimes go for a walk in the neighborhood of our church and just sort of pray and clear my head and um, get some fresh air and stuff. And I was walking past, and I walked past Connell Baptist Church, as I've done actually a number of times. And I thought something in me said, why don't I just go in and say hello? And I did, and I got let in, and there were all those kinds of people there, and they were doing some kind of education stuff, and... I went and I just got to meet this man for the first time. And Jason, it yeah, is good. wonderful to have this chance to chat with you. Um, good. Uh, tell us a little bit like about yourself, your background as a pastor, how you came to be here at Connell in Fort Worth. Sure. Yeah. So um, uh, born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, didn't grow up a believer, but felt a call to be a, a pastor shortly after becoming a believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, got hired on to a staff in Omaha when I was 27. And then... Um, when I was about 30 years old, felt a clear conviction or call to go uh, to a small church in rural southwest Iowa. Mm. And it was a, an interesting call because it felt like God was putting me on the B team. I had a heart for church planning, I still do, and, and it didn't make sense to me because God was going to have me go to a church that was about 120 years old at that point. Right. So, so we went there, and some of the same reasons I wanted to plant a church in North Omaha, um, you know, some of this, the... Um, the addictions, the broken families, and yeah, just things yeah. that the you know the church really needed to be active and engaging with. I found prevalent in a rural community, and and then I learned uh, what revitalization was. Kind of got right. thrown. It was a baptism by fire, mm. uh, and so the, you know that was early 2011, 2012, and at that time nobody was really doing anything with revitalization, so you couldn't like get books and read, or there were no podcasts, <laughs> or so you really kind of. Um, had to figure it out on your own, so to speak. And um, so what I learned pretty quickly is the training I'd gotten for church planting, I was going to have to use for revitalization. Mm-hmm. And I think of it in the context of re- remodeling. You know, you have new construction and, and remodeling. And so I walked to church there through um, replanting. Mm-hmm. And after about four or five years, we felt like everything was, uh, you know, we're hitting on all cylinders. We're hiring right. staff members on. Uh, the church is healthy and whole. Uh, right in that sweet spot, that good yeah. season of life, yeah. you know, where you, hit and... <laughs> where, you, where you remember why it was that you love pastoral ministry yes. because like all the people are excited and right. Yeah. 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 And uh, uh, we felt my wife and I again, like, Hey, we think our, our time here is done. We've done right. the job God has called us to do. And so um, when we, when we let the leadership know and about uh, maybe about 10 or 12 months later, we, we, uh, we yeah. rolled off. Um, we felt like I was going to call us to revitalization or church planting. Mm-hmm. And so one of the churches we had a conversation with was Connell. Right, and, right. Um, and so we, in, in our initial interview conversations, um, the reason we said yes to it was because it was a church in need of revitalization. Yes. And yeah. we felt like that fits our gifting. Right, right. Um, and so um, we've been here for about a year now. Right, right. Walking the church through revitalization and right. um, trying to turn historically... Um, I mean, the, Connell had a, such an, a footprint in mm. West um, 
Fort Worth, yeah. I mean, the impact they had. And so um, just trying to, um, I, I truly believe the better days are ahead for us. Yeah, know? yeah. So. And I remember really being struck by that when I first met you. And because there, there are lots of people who are pastors who would love to um, go to a big famous Sure. Church. Yeah. But there aren't many people who would, having done the hard yards of starting in a place that really had, had got, was struggling and numerical right. decline and demoralized, and maybe, maybe there have been some previous missteps in leadership, and you go in and, and, and seeing God work for a period of years mm-hmm. to yeah. get to a point where, you know, you're now hiring new staff and it's all exciting and the church is growing and optimistic to then say, right, it's time for us to leave yeah. and do the same thing yeah. again. I just think... Yeah, uh, everyone kept asking what's wrong. Yeah, and it's you're just, like, there's nothing wrong. There's it's nothing. all right. Yeah. It's now time to move on. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I can't tell you how many hundreds of times people just, well, what's wrong? What's yeah. wrong? Yeah, I love that about you, Jason, because it's the, it's, the sh- it's the lost sheep shepherd's heart. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm not, I, didn't get you over, I didn't get you all the way over here just to... Just to butter you up but yeah, i but no, seriously i I, I i you know god be praised and uh, may you be encouraged just at the uh, taking on the hard yards you know it's not we've got the sheep pen all nice and sorted and all right. the sheep that know how to walk in a straight line and they're all everything is doing fine right it's like no there's more lost sheep out there more wandering sheep who yeah. just need help yeah i love that i yeah, love that that's good and Thank church re- revitalization it, it sounds like the kind of thing that um might become necessary in a more established um, fellowship or denomination of churches, right? After it's been going yeah. for a while. Yeah, so and... you, you can really, um, so the, the statistically the average lifespan is about 75 years, so this is third generation. Right. And you you can really chart that even biblically, you know, mm. if you look at the nation of Israel, yeah. like one generation, generation would do great, second generation would start to get a little confused, and the third, yes. the third yes. would just fall away. Yes. Um, and And so... You know, the average life is about 75 years. And so every church kind of needs to, in my opinion, kind of understand mm. um, this, the, the cyclical pattern of churches. And if you do, uh, you don't have to fall into rhythms of decline. Right, right. Uh, but you do have to be intentional about trying to yes. stay young, if you will. That's um, really interesting because I've heard um, Baptist theologian Don Carson talk about this. So mm-hmm. A Mennonite colleague of his. Have you heard this story? Mm-hmm. It's like, so Don, Don talks about um, a Mennonite colleague at Trinity Evangelical right. Divinity School in, in Illinois, basically saying the, the first generation of Mennonites were gospel people. Right. And right. they thought the gospel had certain implications, but they, I mean, you might not agree with them, and I probably wouldn't agree with most of them, but they, they were gospel people who wanted to live out their faith. And the second generation kind of assumed the gospel right. and made the implications everything. Right. And the third generation lost the gospel. Yeah. And I'm sure that's not true in every Mennonite sub-community sure. but it's interesting I, and I think just reflecting on our situation here we're in a very interesting place as a denomination within that framework because we've been around for about 20 years wow. so you can see we, we have a number of men in our denomination who've been around for all that time yeah. who are maybe they're going to be pastoring for 5 or 10 years more but they're not going to be pastoring for 30 years more right. and uh, we have to I think try to it's like the Laodicean church, isn't it, in Revelation? Don't, yeah. don't become lukewarm. Right. Don't, don't lose your first love, yeah. as um, Jesus says to John in one of his letters. You know, so, um, and, and it doesn't have to be inevitable, but you've got to be intentional about it. You do. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I like that. So 
um, what, what do you feel able to tell us about um, the situation you came to at Connell? I'm not asking you to dis you know, disclose yeah, no, things you shouldn't, um, so, obviously, but there's a bunch of stuff. Yeah, Connell's, um, you, you know, um, Iowa, it's, it's almost two extremes. And our, our situation in Iowa, and I love the things there. You know, we've mm. had a lot of people visit us. Um, it, it was probably the extreme in the worst case scenario. Right. And and Connell here in Fort Worth is the extreme in the best case scenario. Hmm. And and so it's my, my wife and I just keep thinking, you know, almost like PTSD from what's happened before. We're like, it's going so good, but but, and and there's been no but yet. Right. Um, and I think part of that, um, there was a the intern pastor that was there for about a year and a half. His name's Al Meredith, mm -hmm. uh, kind of a um, somewhat locally famous as a pastor here. He he just did a remarkable job about bringing about unity. Yes. Um, he helped to restore kind of some pastoral trust. So when, when I came in, it really was, you know, take, here's the baton and keep going with it. And so the church actually has been the main driver in mm. the, the, the desire for revitalization. Right. Um, so we voted to replant, which is basically kind of, you give yourself the freedom to start over. Right. And, yeah. and we voted 67 to one. Oh, wow. And, that's great. And so, you know, you just don't get that level of unity and revitalization. Mm -hmm. You know, it may be 50% to 50% or 55% to 45% or, right. um, you know, it, it's just the work revitalization is so difficult. Um, and, and so to have 67 to one is just, I mean, it's just, and I want to give praise to God for the yeah. unity he's brought. And you came here before that vote was held or after that vote was held? Yeah, so that um, so that vote was just like three or four weeks ago. Oh, wow. So you when you came here, you didn't know that the congregation was... You had to actually do the pastoral ministry to, yeah, to yeah. generate, by God's grace, that consensus. Right, right. So, you know, um, so well, professionally, great. you know, we're going into that vote and you're thinking like... <laughs> What if they say no? Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, we don't want what you came here to do. Right, right. What right. are the, you know at that point? What? Um, but by God's grace, I said yes. Yeah. I'm resounding yes. Yeah, and so you, you know, you're. That's the difficult part about revitalization is you're 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 consistently from a professional perspective putting your career on the line. It feels like mm. at times, mm. um, because if they say no, then it's like, um, what what what, yeah. what do I do? You know? And then you know that Paul and Jesus and Moses are lining up to say it's not a career. Yeah, that's just it, right? And you have to remind yourself it's not a career yeah, yeah. that you're you're doing the work where God's called you to do. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I was reminded of that today, um, last week, just thinking about preaching about um, how we view our callings, and mm -hmm. sometimes we can get so lost in the details. Yeah, and then you remember, like Paul said, how ought men to regard us, servants of Christ or slaves of Christ? Right. It's like that. That's first. That's a, and so whatever vocation you're in, if you're a pastor, obviously it's is right at the center to think of this. Like we're, we're at the disposal of the Lord, the master. Yeah. Yeah. We um, trust him and our identity yeah. in him. And, and then to have a congregation, like it sounds like you have, who, who get that, mm -hmm. who realize, and to think to vote for revitalization means to say, yeah, we are withering and mm -hmm. we need really a kick in the seat of the pants. Yeah. That, and, and to, accept to accept that, that. Yeah. Your tomorrow will look different than today. Yeah, and unsettling. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, praise God for that yeah. kind of humility and grace in the congregation. Yeah. And, and I would love to lay claim to it and say, you know, I'm a remarkable pastor. That's what happened. But honestly, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just been a, been a wave of, of God's grace. We've been, been riding great. this last year. Um, and, and I'll, you know, if I'm really honest, you know, most people that are well versed in revitalization will, will tell you not to do anything for the first year. And, right. and that was kind of my initial posture. 
but the majority of the church kept coming to me and kind of saying, hey, we're ready. ready. That's why you're here. Yeah, come on, get started. Well, yeah, get started. And so I was the one kind of holding us back. And after yeah. a while, I thought, okay. Yeah, take the brakes off. Yeah. So just talk to us for a second about, about this idea of revitalization, but at a personal level. Because here's what's interesting. We're right here at All Saints. We are, um, the Lord has been extremely gracious. We're growing yeah. wonderfully. And we're in a different chapter of life to where you are at Cornell. But... What I hinted at earlier, that there's always this ever-present danger of presumption, mm -hmm. of lukewarmness. Sure. And it might be at an individual level, not at a congregational level. Right. So if, if you're sitting down with a young couple or a, a single person or a teenager or an elderly saint who feels that they're, they've grown cold, do you, do you have particular scriptures you go to, particular advice in that kind of situation? Um you know, I think probably I've learned in the context of when, you're, when your passion starts to grow cold, it, it's almost because of a lack of, I might say, I might refer to it you know, from a church and an individual perspective, there's a missional drift. And, and so I come back to maybe we're in Matthew where Jesus said, you know, go into our world, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and I have found it's, it's really difficult for a believer to sit across the table from somebody in genuine need and grow cold. Right, um, and so right. when you're when you're not interacting with people who have a need for the gospel in their life, it's easy to grow cold to the need mm -hmm. of the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can get a person or your church engaged in the mission of Christ, mm -hmm. it's difficult to grow cold. Um, it, it, you want to be careful because you can get burned out, you know, and, and so you right. want to make sure that your you know people have healthy rhythms of rest, and yeah. so that you know they're 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 cultivating the love for Christ, um, and the mission doesn't become their savior in of itself right. so you don't become um almost funny your identity in your the work itself yeah in the yeah. ministry that, that, that you've got to watch yeah and, and i actually found steve that that tends to be what solidifies this people theology to be honest with you mm. um I, you know before i really kind of pressed and pushed us outside the walls of the church i really found in a lot of ways i was cultivating this is back in iowa um a pharisaical group or a group that lacked grace and it was like once we started like getting outside the doors of the church, mm. that's when we really started to see um, uh, people become more graceful. Yes, um, yes. And, and so it's like, you know, you get the person that walks into the church with jeans and a T-shirt on, you know. Gosh, how that, terrible. Right, right. <laughs> but when you're engaged Which is that, half our congregation on a Sunday, or yeah, maybe a third it, of our congregation. And today for us, but back in Iowa, initially that was a huge deal. Mm, right, and, right. Um, but when you're engaged in that person's life and you realize that, um, you know, there's trauma that's prevented him from coming to church before, like, yeah. you, you don't really care what he's dressed in. Yeah, you're just yeah, happy yeah. he's there. I like um, that. Yeah. And, and so that's where, you know, I think as a, as a pastor, like, we, you know, you can sit down, you can try to read passages to people, and that's great, and we should. But a lot of times it's like, hey, just just come follow me and let's go, yeah, let's yeah, go serve. Yeah. And uh, that's where I found people come to life in Christ. Yeah. So I think that's so wise. And, and actually, I think it... <clears throat> That kind of outward-looking mentality has positive impacts everywhere, doesn't it? So mm -hmm. I think it generates unity. Because yeah. the thing is, if, if the only focus of your life as a Christian is your close Christian friends in your church, right. there's initial, initially there's this great warmth and excitement <coughs> pardon me, about you know, all these like-minded Christians. But then what starts to happen is, because you're so zoomed in on these relationships you start to amplify the tiny differences that do exist between yeah, 100%. you. Yeah, 100%. And that can mean that we end up having a kind of 
factionalism over the most trivial things. Right. And it's not that those things might not matter, but if you place them in a broader context, you know, people walking down the street who don't know the Bible's got two testaments, right. never heard of Jesus, um, don't know who the father is of one of the kids in the stroller they're pushing right. along. Right. Suddenly your particular views on head coverings aren't so momentously important, right. you know? Um, yeah, 100%. And it, that perspective on the whole of the world is profoundly helpful at, mm -hmm. at encouraging us to keep the big thing the big thing. You know? Yeah. So um, I, I wanted to just pick up one or two of the threads that we were talking about before we went live here. Because yeah. you, you had some thoughts about preaching. This is switching gears a little bit. And, and um, I'd said that I've been, um, uh, we've reorganized our pastoral staff here right. and, and given particular responsibilities to Pastor Neil, Pastor Shaw, and to me. And one of the things I've got to oversee is the preaching and teaching. So I've written a, uh, a document just to try and help us as a, uh, elders and pastors to, to think through the priorities that we would attach to different teaching mm -hmm. uh, contexts and so on. So I've been chewing that over, and I, I mentioned that to you, and you you said some stuff about preaching that I thought, I've not heard this for a while, mm. and it really struck a chord to me. So so talk to me about your preaching and, a, and how you prepare and the kind of priority you put on that. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think each person kind of... Um, uh, so I was, I was going through my um, sermons, and I'm, I'm over 500, you know, now, sermons right. that I've, I've done, and I don't know the number now today, but, you know, first few completely clueless on how to prepare and what to prepare. You and me both. <laughs> um, you know, the first time I ever preached, my wife, she thought I had, you know, like this, she thought it was terrible, you know, it's just like mm -hmm. he's, he's missed the mark on his calling, and clearly he's, he's <laughs> heard wrong from God, Um you know, and, and so you, uh, there's been times where I've overprepared, times where I've underprepared, um, right, right, times where right. you feel like you've hit a home run, and, and times where you know you struck out, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, the thing I've really kind of just solidified and really found um, in, in revitalization, you know, there, as a pastor, there's, there's so many different ways that you can run at. And, and I've learned I just have to, have to prioritize uh, being a pastor. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to give myself the freedom to, to be a pastor. And one reason I say that is I remember I was listening to a guy by the name of John MacArthur. He's a oh, pastor yeah, yeah. in California. Yeah, we, we, we know and love John MacArthur. Yeah, and he does yeah, 40 hours of sermon prep. Each week. Each week. Wow. And if I do 40 hours of sermon prep, then I don't get to be a pastor. Right, right. And right. I'm probably not going to be a very good father um, because if I am a pastor, then it's eaten too. Yes, yeah. Well, he um, has a staff team of 4,000 people. To that makes a difference, describe. right? <laughs> right. And, and so when you look at just the context of where you are, and, and Tim Keller wrote a good book on mm. church dynamics. Yeah, um, yeah. I've just learned that that if I if I spend more than twenty hours a week in sermon prep, the the church as as a whole will suffer for the lack of my availability mm -hmm. as a pastor. But if I spend less than ten hours a week, then it's just not going to be as as tight or clear. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and I was I was talking to a, a friend back in Nebraska who's a pastor. There's there's a part of me that almost doesn't want to be compared, or almost a little bit maybe I'll, mm. insecure might be. One of the worst. When someone says, "Hey, I was listening to your sermon," and I, you know, I know that hey, that week I only had twelve hours of sermon prep time because you know I was visiting this person in the hospital, this person here, and that person there, and and so sometimes I have to choose between sermon prep time or, mm -hmm. or being available to, um, and and so you you, I've just learned to be okay that I, I'm never going to have a sermon that maybe as tight as John MacArthur. Or as charismatic as Matt Chandler, mm -hmm. um, but our, my church will have a pastor. Right, they will know right, they have a pastor right. that loves them, and and so I think you just got to figure out uh, where was the context of where you are. Because mm -hmm. I, I couldn't 
the way I speak, I don't think I could go to a church of 5,000 and, and keep the audience engaged. But, um, and that's not where God's called me. No, so right. I want to be content where I am. Yeah, yeah. And, um, um, and, and shepherd the people as they need to be yes. shepherded. And that's not just on Sunday for 30 minutes, you know. Right. So it, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because all of us approach this from different um, backgrounds. And mm-hmm. I've had, I guess I've had a, a number of people who've, had a significant impact on how I tried to preach. And one sure. of the convictions that's driven me to the point that I've ended up, I think, in about the same place as you are in practical terms, is the, the thought that, yes, you, you do need to be with the people in the community, right. meeting with people. And yet at the same time, when you're locked away in your study for two, three, four mornings a week, mm-hmm. um, and you're spending hours and hours and hours buried in scripture and right. commentaries and theological books you are are ministering to the people you are yeah and uh now the problem is of course there's always more you could do at both ends sure and what people will tend to do is just emphasize whatever appeals to them personally Mm -hmm. Uh, if they find the sermon prep thing exhausting and difficult they'll emphasize well it's important to be with the people and and vice versa and i think it's just much more mature like you're saying to recognize that you know we've got a certain amount of time in the week uh, let's try and optimize right. this. But it's fascinating to me that the actual numbers you're putting on it are not far from where I would be myself. Yeah, and, that's good. And I feel the, um, I feel the unpreparedness. If I get to Wednesday and I've not already had a good chunk of time to get started, yeah, I'm feeling like I'm behind the curve, and I know I'm not going to enjoy Thursday and Friday. Yeah, because you got, feel crunched. You're not you feel, think and well, and yeah. you don't have enough time to sleep on it and to meditate on it and to chew yeah. on it and to be driving along the highway and suddenly I have an idea. Yeah. Um, because you want to have the con. The way I sometimes think of it is you want to have that scripture in your mind in the context of your engagements with the congregation. Yeah. So that those conversations can then inform your preaching. And so many times I've had conversations. Right that then sort of inform or shape what I say on the next Sunday. You probably have the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, when you say that, I was thinking of uh, John Piper used to sit down on Friday and write his sermon out by the end of the day. Really? And and that doesn't work for me. i got to have it in my mind and chew on it all week. Mm -hmm. And I'll actually even in my head, I, I preach from memory when I preach. So I don't preach with any notes or anything. I'll, I'll preach... Uh, like while I'm mowing, like I'll run through my sermon in my head. Yeah. And then as I'm talking to people, um, you know, you'll have the sermon in the back of your mind and, yes. you're, and it will help to bring clarity to a passage or if something yes. happens. And, and the beautiful thing about that is you're, the, the text is becoming applicable for you. Yes. Yes. So yes. then you can make it applicable to yeah. the, the people that you're preaching to. Um, and, and so for me, yeah, I mean, it, it's like Sunday's over with. Um, not Sunday night, but definitely by Monday morning. Right, you know, right, it's, right. it's in my head. I'm thinking about it. I'm praying about it. You know, I'm reading it. Wow. Uh, I'm get. I want to try to be incredible. So, th- so there's some. I mean, there's some serious discipline there, right? Yeah. You're, you're um, getting ahead. You're, you're working hard. Yeah, and and you know, there's times where you get in a sweet spot, but a lot yeah. of times it, it it can feel like a grind in some sense. I don't mm-hmm. mean that unhealthy way. Um, you you're relying a little bit more on discipline. Yes. Um, you know, but, but it. it to my mind, it, it feels like a grind in the same way as lifting weights or going for a particularly long run yeah. feels like a grind. It's like, I'm, I'm going to be glad I did this yeah. an hour after I finished. Yeah. And it's going to make me 
in better shape to, to do the next thing. And, and and your point about committing it to memory. I mean, I, one of my mentors from years, years back um, wanted me to preach just one sermon without notes at all. And mm -hmm. in the end, he relented and said, OK, you can have one single sheet just to put yeah. a point in mind. And I was so grateful for that experience because I do now use notes, but very sparse notes. I, sure. I write them up by hand, so I don't write so much. Right. And the the point about doing it when you're mowing the lawn is very similar to what I try to do because I, I like to have the logic and the structure clear in my head. Because yeah. I kind of think if after 15 hours or 20 hours, it's not clear in my head, it's never going to be clear right. in the congregation's head. Yeah. After and if you can't say minutes. it in one sentence. Right. They're yeah. never going to get it. Right. So you to know where you're going. And in in one sense, it sounds like we're talking about the technicalities of homiletical um, delivery. But it's, I try and think of it as, no, we're trying to serve the, the flock. You, sure. They want digestible food. Absolutely. There's no use if you go home to your kids and you dump a, a sack load of raw broccoli and raw chicken on their plate. Yeah. Like, well, what is this? It is food, yeah. but you've not done the work for us to prepare it. Whereas... Right. A good cook is going to make it so it's digestible, and I think yeah. that's. Well, I think that's part of the role as the as a as a shepherd. You know, we we're incredibly blessed to. Mm. You know, mm. like to say that the, I don't have a job. You know, the church gives me income or pays me, mm -hmm. um, so that I don't have to go. You know, we we get to study God's word. Yeah, yeah. And it's just remarkable to think that that's we're tasked with studying God's word, and and our our. Our hope is to help it be understandable for people, mm -hmm. and it's like, why would you not want to prepare for yeah, that? Why you exactly, know? exactly? You know, these yeah. are people you love. Like, give them a good meal. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, I want to want to feed them well. Yeah, so. and I, I think what that then generates, and this is one of the most wonderful things for me personally, is when when you've done some teaching or some preaching or whatever, and, and you see in people's lives that they are growing to love the word more and it's mm -hmm. starting to make sense to them yeah. more and they're starting to come with questions and that's really exciting because you can see then what the Lord is doing is he's using that ministry mm -hmm. to do far more than you could do quote unquote in that yeah. half or 35 minute sermon slot he's he's taking those seeds and he's watering them and creating that growth yeah. and that's then long term for them. Yeah. So the whoever's listening to this podcast now is, is getting a, a window on what pastors talk about when it's just the two of them. You know? um, That's good. Uh, so listen, I, you're you're extremely busy, and I I've had I don't know how many minutes of your time already, pushing for twenty five. Um, talk to us a little bit more, if you would, just for a few minutes about um, the big lessons about the Christian life that you've learned, I didn't even prep you for this question, but and any big things that you've learned as a Christian which would be personally applicable to other people? Then I want to ask you just your hopes for the, the future, things mm -hmm. we can pray for uh, the church that you're pastoring, but just yourself personally, have there been those ah, moments where you you wish you'd known that 10 years before and you and it would be good to share it with our congregation? Yeah, that's, good, that's a good question. Um, you know... And I was pretty fortunate, I guess, early on. Um, I was struggling with some addiction issues mm -hmm. and really in, in my own flesh, my own really struggling with those. And after about a year of, of um, trying to faithfully follow Jesus, I was burned out and mm -hmm. I was worn out. And I remember I was walking into church and I said, um, I said, God, you, Jesus, you said your yoke is light. 
You mm. said, come to me who are weary and heavy laden, you'll give them rest. And, and um, you know, it's one of those times where you, you're angry with God, but not like an unhealthy indignation mm. or anything like that. And, and, uh, and so I said, I'm more worn out today, more depressed today, more, um, you know, just out of sorts today. And, and I, I really felt like, you know, that minute God was gracious. This might be the charismatic side of me a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll charismatic, you guys yeah. We were recovering charismatics because yeah. Pentecost you know, happened. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, and I, I just feel like, the, you know, as I'm walking in and praying in my mind, I'm not praying out loud. Uh, at least I don't think I was. I, look, I, don't, I don't think I was. But I feel like the, the Spirit said, I, I didn't call you to do something. I called you to love someone. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of the greatest commandment, of God mm-hmm. with all your heart, soul, and mind. Yes. And immediately I realized I, I was finding my identity in my works. Mm. Like I, I was deriving a sense of self-worth through not doing. And I sensed or knew that what God wanted me to do was to let go of that not doing and yes, to pursue yes. loving him. Yes. And that was incredibly frightening for me right. because I was going to lose control. Huh. And, and what if I, by losing control, what if I, you know, got lost in the abyss of my addiction? Mm. And, and so I, I committed to loving God uh, so my, my bent was towards not doing something. I said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right. And and you, well, what does that look like? Well, you know, yeah. um, and it was remarkable because I looked back six months later, and and my addiction had completely dissipated. Right. Um, and and so here for an entire year in my own tension and own struggle, mm. um, I was gripped and I was worse off because of it as a believer. And then, and so I would, I would say, you know, that we're, we're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's interesting. Too. Um, yeah. we're, we're, we're not called to do something. We're called into a relationship. Yeah. That, you know, it's, this is fascinating for me because I, I had a little note on the inside of my study door back in England for the best part of a decade, mm-hmm. which said the first commandment is not work or strive mm-hmm. or even pray. Right. But love, one hundred percent. And it, and it, what's fascinating is I'd see that, and it would make me want to work and strive and pray. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just it's like uh, reframing right everything. Yeah. To, like, do you do you really love? Yeah. This Jesus. Well, and so and, if your motivation is driven from love, yeah, you know, then it's life giving, and so so rather than being burned out and bitter. Yeah. You know, you're, you're made full and whole. Yes, yes. Got two completely motivations for living the yeah. Christian life. And of course, what it means is that those points of failure, and often the road out of an addiction, mm-hmm. is marked with lots of potholes labeled failure. Yeah. You you don't feel like you've just driven into a brick wall because it's like you're, you, it's about love. And that love is always greater in so far as it comes from Him. Right. right? He, yeah. he loves us. Much more than we love him. Yeah, and I mean that. So he's reaching out and grasping us and leading yeah, us on. What hit me later on too that the the self, you know, the greatest commandment is self revealing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's God's nature towards us. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like it's not a one way street. Yeah, um, right, absolutely, absolutely. So it's like you know, God loves us with all His heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why He sent His Son down the cross for yeah. the forgiveness of our sins. And so, yes. um, it's it's remarkable when we get to live in that and participate in that. Yeah, so yeah. That's. Sorry. Yeah, so I think for the you know for the that's probably where I I really tend to land the most is right. Um, um, right there when you're starting off with somebody like let's let's get into a relationship of grace, which is really hard to understand because we so often want to close ourselves in works you know we we, we derive such mm-hmm. yeah you know, even if I think about say hey let's go serve on mission and 
Right. You go and you close the homeless. Well, it feels good to close the homeless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not bad. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Not. You should be discouraged by that by any means. But after a while, like that could be your sense of righteousness yes. rather than, you know, the righteousness of Christ. And I, th- I think that might be a peculiar temptation for um, reformed Presbyterians of our particular, I'm talking mm-hmm. about as it all saints, our particular tradition where one of the things that we have, I think, rightly emphasized is the, the place of, um, uh, our deeds mm-hmm. as a manifestation of our faithfulness to Christ. Yeah. Um, we don't want to kind of easy believism. And I think right. we are often um, rightly pushing back against that. And I know yeah. you don't want the same thing either, that, yeah. that thing either. But our demeanor can then be oriented with that at the center, not Christ at the center, yeah. which is, yeah, that's fatal. You know, I'm going to do something I've never done on a podcast before. I'm going to. I'd love us to close in prayer. I'd love you. Could you pray that, what you just said about love for the congregation of All Saints? And before you do, tell me what you'd like us to pray for you at Connell. And then I'll close in prayer. Yeah, you know, so for us, um, you know, continued unity. Mm -hmm. Um, The work of revitalization undoubtedly presses against what our traditions. and oftentimes those traditions are held near and dear. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, not that those are sinful in any way, shape, or form, but maybe they just don't, they're not tools that help us to best contextualize the gospel today. And right, so, right, right. Uh, so maybe we need to set those tools on the shelf for another season and, uh, and figure out how do we best impact the city of Fort Worth uh, in a relevant and contextual way. Mm. So unity, um, you know, I, I think a, a clear sense of identity. We're kind of trying to refine ourselves, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so while we're anchored in Christ, we're, we're trying to figure out how does Jesus want us to impact the city of Fort Worth? Like what, mm. what is our gifting? Yeah. I think every church, like every person has a gifting for their neighborhood and their community. And yeah. so we're still, you know, so identity, unity. Mm. Um, and then I think too, I think healthy partnerships with other churches that love Jesus despite denominational lines. I think that that's good. You know, it's the reason I'm here with you, right? Yeah. I and mean, uh, you could you, come and do a podcast with that yeah. Presbyterian church across you know, the road. Yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> you, you guys claim the same name that we do, yeah. the same Savior. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that's healthy. And mm. I think that that's a testimony to the the city of Fort Worth. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and so I think that that's good. So even more, um, more of these kind of conversations yeah, with other churches, great. you know. That's great. Um, well, listen, I, I would, it would be an honor for um, me to pray for those things. And yeah. um, if you're listening to this podcast driving along the road, maybe you shouldn't close your eyes as you pray. <laughs> but um, wherever you are, I, I invite you, please, don't just kind of stop the podcast now because we've done the conversation bit. Join with Pastor Latta and me as we're going to pray for each other yeah. and for our congregations. We're going to be praying for you, very likely, because most of the listeners here are at All Saints. Um, do you want to lead off now? I'll close this in prayer. Yeah, absolutely. Ahead. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the, the faithfulness of this church. I thank you for... Uh, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you called us into a relationship of grace. Um, I thank you for the freedom that we get in Christ. Uh, you've said that uh, it's for freedom's sake that Christ set us free, so don't be conformed again to the yoke of slavery. And so, Lord, uh, just as a person, I just thank you for that. Uh, thank you that I've been set free to love you and that you've called me into that relationship. Lord, I pray for this church. I ask that they would know that they have a Savior in Christ, a Father in heaven who loves them, that knows them. Lord, would you continue to grow this church? Uh, Lord, I love that there are um, um, trying to ask questions of uh, 
of, of where do we meet, how do we meet. I, I love that there's issues because of their faithfulness to you, that they're growing. Lord, that's just what a great problem. What a, what a testimony to your grace. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to bless this church, continue to grow this church. Such a testimony to Steve and to the leadership here. Um, just an affirmation of them. Um, that you're bringing saints to hear the word of God here. I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for um, just the ways to communicate. I thank you that Steve has a heart to want to communicate, to love his church. Lord, I just thank you for for the work that you're accomplishing. Uh, Lord, I pray for our partnership, whatever that would look like. I just pray that the community would know that we're not divided on issues, but instead united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whether someone comes here or goes to Connell, we say amen. Because we know when one, one person is saved, heaven itself rejoices. And so if they're saved here, Lord, let us rejoice. Uh, and if they're saved there, let this church rejoice. Lord, I just pray for the city of Fort Worth. Would we, as your church, impact the city of Fort Worth with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the surrounding communities? Could we give testimony to your work, to how you are growing your kingdom? Could we celebrate new brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, those who are growing in a deeper relationship with you? Uh, I just pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray that the love which you've shown Jason again and again over the years would characterize increasingly the congregation at Connell so that they would be able to exhibit in more and more rich measure Mm -hmm. the unity which mirrors the unity between you, Heavenly Father, and your Son in your spirit. We pray that that will be worked out in practical ways as they pursue the humbling work of revitalization we pray that your spirit would revitalize give new life to them we pray that would be shown in their sense of identity that they recognize that in the end here we are servants of christ slaves of jesus and that in that capacity you would show them uh, what particular opportunities they have given their location and their callings in the city of fort worth May none of us think more highly of ourselves than we ought, Father, and therefore be content to uh, give ourselves to whichever small corner or not so small corner you bless us with a voice in. And we pray that would become evident in the coming weeks and months that you'd help the congregation to see, ah, here's a way which we could uh, impact the city of Fort Worth and a wider community for Christ. And as they do so, Father, please open up new partnerships for them. We pray you'd liberate uh, all christ-loving churches Mm. in fort worth and beyond from the fear of working alongside their brothers and sisters in christ and instead we'd be able to uh, shout with a single voice and a wholehearted mutual commitment our love for jesus and that that would issue in real practical ways we pray that cornell baptist church will be blessed mightily by other congregations around this area and beyond serving and helping and partnering with them. We pray the same for ourselves, that you'd bless us richly with partnerships like this one, yeah. uh, with a brother in Christ across the street and a congregation for which we pray, and um, we pray now and we'll pray in the future, and a congregation that's praying for us. Yeah. Watch over all of us, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Pastor Jason Letter, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, guys at All Saints, if you... Um, uh, want to hear more about Pastor Latter, you just need to poke me with a question in forum after the service, and I'll happily talk about how great it has been to get to know this man. Um, And uh, let's be praying for each other, and um, we'll also be praying for you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it.